Here are a number of opening scenes from some of cinema's most celebrated movies. We begin with a close-up of a roadside curb. We pull back and follow a squad of police cars as they speed by and head for a hillside mansion. In the swimming pool outside the mansion, a man lies dead, shot three times, twice in his back, once in the stomach. Or how about this one? A man sits in a car, stuck in a seemingly endless traffic jam. Feeling suffocated, he climbs out of the car and floats away into the sky. But once up there, he sees his leg is tethered to a rope. The rope pulls him, he tumbles to the earth, and wakening from his nightmare, he gasps for air. Here's one more. Once again, we are high in the air, only now we are drifting over a mountain lake. There is an island ahead of us, and we veer right to avoid it. Still flying, we have another view, of a pine forest. We are directly above it, and winding its way between the trees is a remote road. On the road is a car travelling. It is a yellow Volkswagen. Besides being iconic, Billy Wilder's Sunset Boulevard, Federico Fellini's Eight and a Half, and Stanley Kubrick's The Shining, all focus on that film favourite, the writer unable to write. Be they novelists, poets, playwrights, journalists, or even scriptwriters, it seems that writing about writing is a preoccupation of the occupation. Elsewhere, you have the Coen brothers Barton Fink and Robert Altman's The Player. In Barton Fink, the writer is a suspect in a murder case, while in both Sunset Boulevard and The Player, both writers end up dead. Which makes you wonder just how writers feel about writing. The opening shot of Spike Jonze's adaptation isn't a shot. It's a black screen. We haven't faded in yet, so we are not seeing anything. But we do hear a rambling screed of anxiety. Do I have an original thought in my head? My bald head? Maybe if I were happier, my hair wouldn't be falling out. Life is short. I need to make the most of it. Today's the first day of the rest of my life. I'm a walking cliche. I really need to go to the doctor, have my leg checked. There's something wrong, a bump. The dentist called again. I'm way overdue. If I stopped putting things off, I would be happier. All I do is sit on my fat ass. When we finally do see something, it is an image shot on a handheld video camera, showing us the filming of Jones's previous picture, the deliriously unpredictable being John Malkovich. It is the sequence where Malkovich has slipped past the filing cabinet in the offices of Leicester Corps on 47 and a half of New York's Merton Flemmer building and then into his own head, which results in his entering a world where everyone is John Malkovich. Malkovich. Malkovich, Malkovich. Malkovich, Malkovich. Malkovich, Malkovich, Malkovich. Malkovich, Malkovich. Malkovich. Rather than going for iconic, adaptation is going for what exactly? That is too specific a question, because if anything, adaptation is about nothing less than everything. The entire history of the world and all its inhabitants. Living, dead, extinct, evolving, adapting. I guess I'm not exactly sure what that means. Oh. I'm not sure I know what that means either. Um, you know, I just don't want to ruin it by making it a Hollywood thing, you know, like, like, like an Orchid Heist movie or, or something, you know, or, uh, you know, changing the orchids into poppies and turning it into a movie about drug running, you know? 
Why, why can't there be a movie simply about, about flowers? Adaptation is based on Susan Orleon's non-fiction novel The Orchid Thief, A True Story of Beauty and Obsession, which itself began life as an article printed in the New Yorker magazine in 1995. The book is about John LaRoche, a Floridian plant dealer who is searching for a rare ghost orchid flower with the aim of cloning it for financial profit. In the film, LaRoche is played by Chris Cooper, Orleon by Meryl Streep. Charlie Kaufman, who previously wrote Being John Malkovich, adapted Orleon's book and in so doing, inserted himself into the story so that the film also encompasses his difficulty in writing the script. Kaufman is played by Nicolas Cage and he experiences such enormous difficulties with the script, his twin brother, Donald, shows up, enthusiastically espousing all manner of storytelling theories he is learning while attending a screenwriting seminar run by famed Hollywood script guru, Robert McKee. Donald is also played by Cage, but the thing is that Charlie Kaufman doesn't have a brother, and yet the film doubles down on that meta-ness because in the credits, both Kaufmans are acknowledged. Which is perhaps why, although the credits announce it as a Spike Jones film, for all intents and purposes, the movie is considered more Kaufman's than it is Jones's, which is quite an achievement considering how much sway the auteur theory holds, both within the film industry and the media observing it. In the history of Hollywood, there really is only one writer who has ever afforded such status, and that is Paddy Shaevsky. I don't know what to do about the depression and the inflation and the Russians and the crime in the street. All I know is that first, you've got to get mad. You've got to say, I'm a human being. God damn it. My life has value. So, I want you to get up now. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as mad as hell and I'm not going to take this anymore! Currently, the only other writer who comes close to such eminence is Aaron Sorkin. Do you think I deserve it? What? Do you think I deserve your full attention? I had to swear an oath before we began this deposition and I don't want to perjure myself, so I have a legal obligation to say no. Okay, no. You don't think I deserve your attention? I think if your clients want to sit on my shoulders and call themselves tall, they have a right to give it a try, but there's no requirement that I enjoy sitting here listening to people lie. You have part of my attention. You have the minimum amount. The rest of my attention is back at the offices of Facebook, where my colleagues and I are doing things that no one in this room, including and especially your clients, are intellectually or creatively capable of doing. Did I adequately answer your condescending question? So, by changing the title from The Orchid Thief to Adaptation, with a full stop, what is Kaufman's script and Jones's film referencing? Beyond merely transferring Orleon's book to the screen, it might also refer to the fact that when a writer is commissioned to script a story, it is not just a case of telling that story to the best of their ability. The first few drafts may be for their own benefit, but once they feel it is presentable, they send it out and give it to agents, actors, producers and directors. After that, the definition and functionality of adaptation changes. The actors may be intrigued, but have their own ideas on their characters. Likewise, one director might have a completely different take on what the story should be about. While if another is brought in, a whole new strand of DNA is supplanted. Thereafter, the screenwriter then adapts those positions and opinions into the story. And through all that genetic splicing, everyone hopes that the seeds will bloom into a beautiful 
flower. Adaptation does not only bloom, it lampoons everything. Creation, evolution, the idea of writing a book about a person who steals flowers, the craft of screenwriting. Where, in the first half of the film, it had Charlie demonising his brother Donald for his crass embrace of Hollywood's tried and tired story structures, in the second half, Charlie succumbs to all of them. Let's go, let's go. She hung up the phone. She's upset. Stop watching her. Leave her alone. She's crying. She's at her computer. This is morally reprehensible. United to Miami. 11, 55 a.m. tomorrow. I thought she was done with LaRoche. Her parents live in Florida, Donald. That was no parent phone call, my friend. Don't say my friend. Early on, Charlie had said he wanted a script to explore human relationships and avoid the cliches of Hollywood action pictures. But in the final third of his script, the characters are reduced to functions of action as the human story flips out into a thriller complete with a car chase and murder. I think the turning point comes when a desperate Charlie decides to attend a screenwriting seminar hosted by Robert McKee. In real life, McKee has made a fortune presenting his theories on writing to hundreds of thousands of aspiring and firmly established filmmakers the world over. And despite his continued success, and indeed popularity within the film industry, dozens upon dozens of Oscar, Emmy, WGA, DGA and SAG winners, from John Lasseter to Peter Jackson, to William Goldman and Akiva Goldman, from Julia Roberts to Geoffrey Rush, those outside the industry pour scorn on what McKee has to say. Here is what Charlie asks McKee at the seminar. Sir, what if a writer is attempting to create a story where nothing much happens, where people don't change, they don't have any epiphanies, they struggle and are frustrated and nothing is resolved? More a reflection of the real world. The real world? Yes, sir. The real fucking world. First of all, you write a screenplay without conflict or crisis, you'll bore your audience to tears. Secondly, nothing happens in the world? Are you out of your fucking mind? People are murdered every day. There's genocide, war, corruption. Every fucking day, somewhere in the world, somebody sacrifices his life to save somebody else. Every fucking day, someone somewhere takes a conscious decision to destroy someone else. People find love, people lose it. For Christ's sake, a child watches a mother beaten to death on the steps of a church. Someone goes hungry. Somebody else betrays his best friend for a woman. If you can't find that stuff in life, then you, my friend, don't know crap about life. And why the fuck are you wasting my two precious hours with your movie? McKee gets a very hard time from critics reviewing finished films, while seemingly getting a lot easier ride from those actually trying to make films. Why? Because in reviewing a film, the critics are examining the phenomenon of creativity from the wrong end. A critic is reacting to a finished piece of work. In creating a script, a writer is grappling with thousands of options and is perpetually unsure which is the right one. Attending McKee's seminars, all critics here are rules. But as Donald says, McKee doesn't really have any rules. Merely a set of questions that can equip a writer with navigating their way through the myriad of choices they need to make in creating their story. What character? What behaviour? What action? 
Which action? What premise? What genre? Yes, elsewhere, McKee rails against certain narrative devices, such as voiceover. But when he says it is lazy, he really is complaining about the lazy use of it. Lazy writers use voiceover lazily. By contrast, films like Goodfellas, Trainspotting and Fight Club exercise their narrative muscles because there is a difference between what we hear on the soundtrack and what we see on the screen. The voice and the image are pulled away from one another, so the real meaning of the conflict lies in the space between. I have to go right home. I know how to finish the script now. It ends with Kaufman driving home after his lunch with Amelia, thinking he knows how to finish the script. Shit, that's voiceover. McKee would not approve. How else can I show his thoughts? I don't know. Oh, who cares what McKee says? It feels right. Conclusive. I wonder who's going to play me. Someone not too fat. I like that Gerard Depardieu, but can he not do the accent? Anyway, it's done. And that's something. So, Kaufman drives off on his encounter with Amelia, filled for the first time with hope. I like this. The only rule that McKee really insists upon is hooking the audience's interest, holding their interest, and then rewarding it. What McKee is unwittingly doing is contributing to the industrialization of storytelling, streamlining its elements so they fit into an easily consumable product. Everything has to fit to a certain shape, size and length, because if not, it can't be packaged, shipped and screened in the same two and a half hour slot. It's not just the film industry that seeks formulation. The publishing industry organises creative writing courses, seeking stories that can sit neatly on the shelf, as does the music industry. And within each, you have the standardisation of creativity, an automobile in any colour, so long as it is black. Which leads you to wonder, isn't the arts industry an oxymoron? But yet, McKee is right. Storytelling is about maintaining the audience's interest, and his seminars examine how storytellers have done just that. He tells his audience that they have to figure out what works for their story. And if they can figure out how to tell their stories, audiences might just stick around because good stories, the best stories, the stories that impact most profoundly and resonate across the years, are metaphors for life. A byproduct of storytelling is that we come to understand the world a little bit better. And by understanding it a bit better, we are better equipped to participate. After all, we are social creatures. We talk, we listen, we interact. And through those three practices, we evolve. Or to use another verb, adapt. Mr. McKee! Yes? I'm the guy you yelled at this morning. I need more. I'm the one who thought things didn't happen in life. Right. Okay. Nice to see you. I need to talk. Mr. McKee, my, my even standing here is very scary. I don't meet people well. But what you said this morning shook me to the bone. What you said was bigger than my screenwriting choices. It was about my choices as a human being. Please. Yeah. Well, you know... I could sure use a drink, my friend. After Charlie encounters McKee at the seminar, his script and the film assume a more conventional direction, 
while at the same time sending up that convention. But that is only on the surface because it was lampooning itself from the very start. In the end, Adaptation was nominated for all manner of awards, the most constant of which was for Charlie Kaufman's script. How meta is that? A screenplay called Adaptation, about adapting a non-fiction book that began as a magazine article that was nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay, written by Charlie's non-existent, therefore non-evolving, unadaptable brother, Donald. But all that meta only brings you back to what McKee was saying. Stories equipping us for life. They help us evolve. Like orchids, it is a matter of survival of the fittest. Extinction or adaptation. (laughs) 